Hi, Bert Alcorn here, lead pastor of Anthem Ventura. You're listening to the Anthem Ventura podcast. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen and track with our teachings. The sermon you're about to hear has been prayed and labored over, and we really do hope you find this useful and an aid of your discipleship to Jesus. If you'd like to learn a little bit more about Anthem, visit us online at anthemventura.org, or you can download our mobile app from the iTunes or Google Play App Store. Enjoy the next hour or so. We have prayed that God would use it in profound ways in the lives of anyone that may hear it. Thanks so much. Hello. Um, Two things before we start. One, I never take these moments lightly. This is a privilege to speak to God's people and those who are looking to become God's people. It's a it's a privilege, and so I, I take this seriously. The second thing I want to say, whatever I say tonight is submitted to the elders. They can get up at any time and stop me and say, you're talking rubbish. We don't like what you're saying. We feel that's wrong or correct later. We are submitted to the, the, the eldership team. Yeah, it's a very important thing um, as we go along. But before we do that, do you mind closing your eyes for a moment? There's a beautiful verse In the Psalms, it says, Be still and know that I am God. And it's no use us talking about God if we don't take a moment to ask Him to be with us. I know we've had worship, but that word, be still and know, be still means cease your striving. Stop your anxious thought if you can. Take a moment to lay some of that down this evening to actually hear what God might be saying through these frail words. He might say something to you. Be still. Know. That's an active word. It's not a passive word. Know. Knowing. And the word for God there is Elohim, the the Almighty. If you've come in tonight with a sense of anxiety, worry, stress, be still and know that I am God. So, Father, just be with us this evening as we gather around this written word of yours. Um, Would you take these words and let them bring life to us? That which is my good idea and not from you, let it just be blown away. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I hope I'm going to try and make this as simple as we can make it. We are speaking from Matthew chapter 13. That was the text I was given, and I'm going to stick to the text a little bit, as best I know how. Um... So Matthew 13 is a a teaching section in this gospel, this good news story about Jesus. There are four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and this one was written by Matthew, ex-tax collector, part of Jesus' band of merry men, um, one of the inner crowd, and he's writing predominantly to a Jewish community, and uh, he breaks these at least four or five teaching sections in this this book where he, he... relates things that Jesus said. And as we get here, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, which in some ways is quite mysterious. In some ways it's quite simple. The kingdom being God's rule, 
God's reign in any specific person or place or the whole earth or everywhere. He's talking about the kingdom. So he's speaking to these people in stories, understanding that trying just to teach the kingdom gets confusing. So he, he tells a whole lot of stories, each one making a point about the kingdom. And so the one we're going to look at tonight is not there to explain everything about the kingdom. It's there to make generally one point about the kingdom. And that's what we're going to look at. And these, these are called parables. And I'm going to, let's read it from Matthew 13. We'll start at verse 24. We'll jump in the middle between two other little stories. He said, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. It says here, he put another parable before them. There's these strange Greek words, parathekon and par parabolos, joined together. Para means alongside. So he throws alongside them something, an alongside story. So he's doubling up, and then he says, so that may be compared. So this whole idea of a, of a parable is a story that is thrown alongside to illustrate a point to help people understand. He takes something of the everyday and tries to illustrate a spiritual principle. Is that right? Para means alongside. Uh, parabolus means a story thrown alongside to help us understand a spiritual truth. So in these days, he was talking about sowing seed. I don't know if many people know what sowing seed means anymore, but we'll stick with it. Um, if I'd been given one of the later parables, I would have told you a story about buying comics, but we didn't get that one. So he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. So we'll stop there. That's the parable. That's the story that Jesus tells. Um, we don't want to make it bigger than it is. We want to draw out what is the, the essential truth here and a few minor points that go along with it. I want to make this clear. This parable is not about the church. It's about the kingdom, which is bigger than the church. The church is a beautiful vehicle for the kingdom. The church displays the kingdom. The church is the reservoir of the kingdom, but the kingdom is bigger than the church. So if we try and interpret this as the church, we miss the point. This is about the kingdom of God, the rule, the reign of God that is enormous, that fills everything everywhere. Okay, so when we look at a parable, there are generally three things we have to look at. One, we have to look at it in its context. What was the story about? Because if you don't understand that, you miss the point. Two, did Jesus give an interpretation? 
And three, what's the application for us today? We have to try and draw that out. So if you look at this chapter, you'll see a bunch of parables. You'll see four that are given in public, but only one is interpreted in public. This one is interpreted in private, and then there are two that are not interpreted at all. What's, what's with that? Who knows? Jesus did things I still don't understand. All right? But this one, he did give an interpretation. The, the, the story is told in public to all those who are listening, but the interpretation, the explanation, is only given to his disciples inside. And so let's try and look at this. Let's look at it in its context. What was Jesus saying? So Jesus is telling a story about a farmer. Everybody in those days knew a farmer. It was a, there were farmers everywhere. A farmer had a piece of ground. It was his piece of ground. And every year, he would just sow seed. And what sort of seed was he sowing? Wheat. So he was, he was a, a wheat farmer. All right? That seed, the, the Greek word is sperma. You get the word sperm. It means there's life inside. It means it's something that can grow, something that can bring new life. So this farmer took some wheat seed that came from a previous harvest, and he went and he scattered it and sowed it in his field. And he left it. Because that's what you do with seed like that. You just leave it. Because the natural elements come and that seed will germinate, grow a little root, and then pop out and become a plant and produce a harvest. So while everyone is sleeping, while everyone is waiting for that to happen, the farmer was doing other things, an enemy, a man who didn't like this farmer, comes in and throws weeds, seeds, again seeds, but they weeds, among the wheat seeds. And one day the workers come and say, oh my goodness, there's weeds. Where did the weeds come from? Farmer says, oh, it was the enemy. He came and did it. And they say, now we get into the point, should we go pull them up? And he says, no, 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 no. You can't do that because you might pull up the wheat at the same time when we lose part of the crop. Now you can say, well, that's a great story, but it's important for us to understand this one thing. This word seed for wheat is the word sperma. It's a word that means life-giving, nourishing, newness. The word for weeds is a word zinzania, which actually speaks about a plant called a darnel. That when it was planted and it grew up, and this is why you've got to understand the context, because if you don't understand this, the parable makes no sense at all. It was a weed that when it popped up next to the wheat, looked just like wheat. Where I come from in South Africa, we have sugarcane. You know sugarcane? If you buy Mexican Coke, it's got sugarcane in, not this horrible other stuff. Where's the Coke guy? Yeah, we don't need that. We need the real Coke. <laughs> we need the real sugar. All right? Because it tastes different. But there in South Africa, among the sugar, guys, the gangs would come in and make some space, and they would grow weed. Real weed. All right? But if you looked at it, it looked different. It didn't even look the same. So when the police or the drug enforcement agency would go and look, they could find it easily because it looked different. But this weed called a Darnell, an eastern Darnell, went, uh, 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 it's called a bearded Darnell, actually. When it would sprout, it looked just like wheat. 
And the, and the farmer says to the workers, don't pull it up because you don't quite know it, which is which. We know it's there, but we're not quite sure. We have to let it grow to its fullness to be able to fully identify what's wheat and what's weed. Then we can pluck it out. Does that make sense? Clear? That's the story. It's not, it's not difficult. It's quite simple. It's something that resembles this, this um, uh, weed is an imitation. It's not the real thing, but it's growing up among the real thing. Something that's here to create life and to flourish and to feed comes something that wants to choke and pull down. It's at the same time. There's a wonderful story in the Old Testament, uh, uh, Exodus 32, 33, when the people arrive at Mount Sinai, they're complaining that there's no water, and Moses strikes the rock. Do you remember that one? And water gushes out. I've always said that actually the, the Hebrew word there is Coca-Cola. Our byline used to be Coke adds life, so um, that's, I always thought it was Coca-Cola. But water comes out, and immediately the Amalekites attack. And they fight with Israel because they want the water rights. The word for Amalekite, the Amaleks, are people who dwell in a valley. That's what the word Amalek means, people who dwell in a valley. And throughout God's, the history of God's people, the Amalekites are there always, whenever God brings life, the Amalekites want to pull down and rob. So this is a story very similar. Wherever God brings increase, brings life, there are weeds, there's an enemy that wants to choke and pull down. Right, that's the context of the story. The point is, there is a harvest coming, and at the harvest, it will be recognized, and there will be a separation of the harvest. Fair enough? Yeah. All right. Let's look at Jesus' application. Jump to verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. They immediately understood that this story was about weeds. It wasn't about wheat. It was about weeds. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. Notice the way that Jesus responds here. It's very point form. The one who sows this good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are angels. How's that? Just point form. It's pretty easy. This is what it is. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. So first thing, this is a story about, part of it at the end, we can talk about the end times, hell, and I'm not going to go there. Not because I don't want to. I'm happy to go there. But I, I just don't want to stand on a toe if I suddenly have a slightly different interpretation than Bert might have, and he's going to explain that to you as community, what this church holds on that view. Is that all right? I believe in hell, just so you know. I'm not going away from that. I believe in hell. All right. So Jesus is the farmer. 
The field is the world. And from the previous part, who owns the world? God owns the world. Because the farmer, it was his field. So this is Jesus' world. All right? It's important to know that. The good seed are kingdom people. You and I, if we are part of the kingdom, we are the seed that Jesus sows into the world. We are the seed that the wheat that's to go out and produce a harvest that can feed and create new seed. One of the great revelations I had personally about 10 years ago was just thinking about culture and the Bible and how to use the Bible. I love the Scriptures with every part of my being. But I realized the Bible was not predominantly written to the world, to people out there. The Bible was the book of God's people. It's, it's the things that God has to say to us. And when I go into the world and I meet someone who doesn't believe the Bible, does not interested in the Bible, is not interested in faith or the ways of God, and I try to quote verses at them or anything like that, I'm doing them a disservice. They're rejecting it, and it's going nowhere. It's like casting pearls before swine. Actually, the seed that I'm meant to sow into the world is me. This word, this written word, this living word, Jesus, comes and changes my life. It infects my heart. I become a living epistle, a living story about Jesus and the gospel and the kingdom, and then I allow him to send me into the world as seed to interact with people. Does that make sense? Then I don't have to quote verses at them. I don't have to worry if they're not lining up with this. The question is, am I lining up with this? The question is, are we as a church lining up with this? I don't expect the world to line up with this. And so we're all freaking out because we're losing our Judeo-Christo ethic in our society. And I'm saying, so what? Nicely, I mean that. <laughs> actually, it's just an opportunity for us who actually have God's ethic to engage our world and not just assume that everybody has it, because they don't. Now I can go with the confidence that God has called me, that he's made me to be seed, to sow into the world. And that's what Jesus is saying here. The enemy is the evil one. The weeds are the sons of another kingdom. All right. So as Jesus sows me into the world, the enemy is also sowing seed, weeds, people, who are against the church, who are against the kingdom. I shouldn't use the word church because this is about the kingdom. Who are against the ways of God, against the rule of God, and he's sowing them among us. So often when I've read this text, I often don't think of, you know, this is the rapist and the murderer and the those who commit genocide. I think these are those that are very similar to us because the parable is about wheat and darnel, which look the same. This is about us in the world and those who look like us and act like us, but are not really. And the church is filled with people who do religious things, who live, quote, Christian lives, but are not part of what God is doing. They're everywhere. We've been in churches where we've actually been physically infiltrated 
by witches and all sorts of people who act like Christians to come in and try and undermine. Jesus is saying, as these times grow, you're going to find that more and more and more. So what is the point of the story? The point of the story is this, is that it's not our role to try and kick them out and pull up the weeds. It's not our role. That's God's role. Angels will do that one day. Our role is to keep growing. I'll come back to that in a moment. See, Satan, some old-time guy wrote hundreds of years, Satan is a squatter. This is Jesus' world, and Satan's squatting. And what is a squatter? A person who settles on land he has no right to and works it for his own advantage. And he's squatting everywhere. What are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? You see, the final harvest will show it. Might not see it now. You know, is Alan, is Alan Wheat or is Alan Darnell? I don't know. And I know Alan, so we're okay. But I'm not sure. Maybe you don't know. But he acts like a Christian. He looks like a Christian. He dresses like a... Man. <laughs> but he comes to the prayer meetings and he's involved. But do I know whether he's a Christian or not? I don't know. Do you know? I don't know. I know if I am, but I don't know if you are. Only God knows your heart, and you know your heart. I can get an inkling by what fruit I see, but I'm not sure. But a day is coming when everything will be made plain. And that's actually a scary day. Because imagine if I've been pretending to myself and I've got it all wrong. We'll cover that in a moment so that you don't feel insecure. You see, in the end time, in those end days when there's a consummation of the ages, when Jesus returns, everything will be at full bloom. And we'll be able to differentiate. Everything will be manifest for what it really, really is. Isn't that interesting? I'm looking, I don't know about you, I'm looking forward to that day. Sometimes I get tired of this day. Don't you? Don't you get tired of the wickedness? And you read stories of genocide and rape and bombings and child molestation and it just goes on and on and on. You get tired of this day. Can that day not please come? The stories deals with that. You know, there's a beautiful verse in the book of Romans where it says, and I'm paraphrasing, it says the whole universe, the whole, all of creation is groaning for the children of God to be revealed. Because there's a day coming when the earth will be renewed. And he, they're waiting for that day too, when evil is plucked out and the sons and daughters of the kingdom are established in their fullness and the earth is restored to how it was meant to be. Even the creation is groaning. My question is, are we groaning? Are we longing for what God wants to do in the future? Are we aligning our lives toward that end? There will be a supernatural harvest on that day. We don't have to do that harvest. It's not our responsibility. It's God's responsibility. So what's the application for us? 
Question for you. Is the world getting better or worse? Anybody think it's getting better? Three. Anyone think it's getting worse? And the, the rest of you? <laughs> huh? Neither? Neither? Just static. Okay. How about that it's, bo it's both getting worse and better? Because the wheat's growing. It's getting better. But so the weeds. It's getting worse. Another verse that says, where sin abounds, their grace even more abounds. So it's both. In our world, it's getting worse and it's getting better. So we should expect that. We shouldn't be, oh, what's happening in the world? No, it's getting worse. People are getting saved. Things that, whoa, it's getting better. I feel schizophrenic. But actually, both are happening at the same time because this story is to illustrate that in God's field, both are growing. Is that right? So you can have hope and fear at the same time, but we have a bigger story. It's always about hope. Um, there's a verse where Jesus says, Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, calls me is going to enter the kingdom. So this. It's tied into the story. I look at the church today and I find people struggling with some of the very basic things of what it means to be a believer. Is Jesus God? But they love to be in the church. I don't know. I'm just asking you questions. Is that, do you think there's a separation there? I don't know. It's just things that are happening in the church, happening in the world. There's this division that's happening. We're still Christian, we're still church, we're still this, but they're so different. I don't know, Lord. Help me understand this. Only God knows the heart. Spend time with someone long enough, you might get an inkling. But people are really good at pretending. People are really, we, us, are really good at covering up. I had a saying I wrote down 30 years ago. You can fool all the people all the time. You can never fool God, not even once. Say that again. You can fool all the people all the time. You can't fool God, not even once. He sees it. And the writer says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. If you declare yourself to be a believer, and you say, I have repented, metanoia, change of mind, change of direction, I've turned away from my activity of sin and been embraced by that, and I've turned and exercised faith and embraced Jesus and the kingdom, and I'm entering into that, our lives need to produce fruit. You can't make fruit grow in your life. You can only do activities that allow fruit to grow in your life. I could wake up in the morning and say, oh, fruit today, fruit today, fruit today, fruit today, fruit, and I just get exhausted. But if I live a life in obedience to the things of Jesus, if I embrace the pattern of Jesus and I live according to the way that Jesus wants me to live and I allow the Spirit to wash into me and cleanse me and to grow me and to empower me and do all... I'm not talking about legalism. I'm not talking about you better do this and you better do that and you better. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about allowing God's life to reign in you. Fruit 
will come in due season. And fruit doesn't appear day one. It doesn't even appear day two. Sometimes it takes a long time. You know, if you're a fly, you might have baby flies really quick, but you die very quick. If you're an elephant, you might take 18 months to carry. But then that elephant lives for a long time. The things of God are not always quick. Sometimes they take time. But you have to be obedient to the ways of God and allow Him to do this. And then fruit appears. And then one day you realize, what on earth happened? God did something amazing. Here's the big difference between the story and the application. In the story, you got good, excuse my finger. In the story, you have wheat seed and Darnell weed. Wheat seed will always be wheat seed. Is that right? A wheat seed will never become an apple seed. Do you agree with that statement? A Darnell seed, which is a weed, will always be a Darnell seed. It will always be a weed. Do you agree with that? But the, inter- the application in terms of us in the kingdom is that a person who currently is a weed, through the gospel, can become a son or a daughter of the kingdom. Because only through the gospel can someone's nature change. So we don't live a fatalistic life. Well, I'm a Christian, births, weed, and that's it. No, I live a life toward birth, being kind, being loving, being serving, doing everything that God is calling me to do in the desire and the expectation that this gospel will come and his nature will change because the Spirit of God will get inside of him. Does that make sense? So that's where the story has a bit of a change. People can change through the gospel. You can't do it through good works. You can't do it by praying the rosary. I was raised that way. You can't do it by crawling on glass on your knees, hoping you get it because the gospel takes root in your heart. The good news of who Jesus is, what he has done, what he has promised, and what he will fulfill, that good news takes root in us, and the Holy Spirit changes our nature. And you change from sinner to saint. There's a status change like that. That can happen. Therefore, we never give up on anybody. And that's why we're not called to pull up the weeds. Because we pull them up. Imagine if I walked around here today and the Lord gave me incredible insight. Believer, great. Non-believer. That's what we're basically saying in our vernacular, our language. Pull up the weeds, just pop them off. Because if we had to tell the story in today's language, we would not, might not use weeds in that, we'd use different language. But if I do that, I'm robbing you of the opportunity of having a nature change. So we hang on to the very end because God can change people at the very end. On their deathbed. Nature change. And if you say, that's so unfair. I'm just thinking, no, I'm going to share life with them in eternity. That's glorious. People's nature can change. But not everyone will be saved. 
is the Lord confirming his word with signs following. <laughs> our business, our business, what we are called to do as sons and daughters of the kingdom, and I'm using that deliberately because this is the kingdom story, is to grow, to develop, and fulfill the purpose of God in our lives and hasten the coming of the kingdom in its fullness. That's what we call to do. It is not our responsibility to pull up weeds. Second, that other story that Jesus told, how can I look at the splinter in your eye when I've got a massive plank in my own? I've got to worry about what God is asking me to do and then live that life out. So, coming to an end, last question. How can you know which you are? Well, are there any indicators that you can have to say whether you're seed or weed? Do you think they are? All right. So let's, let's talk about them more. I think the most important one of them, because I can say I'm a Christian, doesn't mean I am. You could say you're a Christian, doesn't mean you are. But one of the signs is in Galatians 5, it's called the fruit of the Spirit. Should we turn there quickly? Let's just read it. I won't, we won't explain everything. We'll just read it. I'll read from verse 16. But I say, and this is Paul writing to the church in Galatia. He says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. How do you like that sexual immorality and drunkenness are put together? Huh? The sexually immoral, but we had a bit too much tonight. They're in the same bracket, according to the scriptures. These are evidence. These are things that are not. These are ways of the weeds. As the nature is changing, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit what? The kingdom of God. It doesn't say you will not be part of the church. It says you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Who's this letter written to? A church. It's not written to the world. It's written to a church in a specific place in Galatia. If you do this, you those are signs of being a weed. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. That's one way to know the fruit of the Spirit. Are you becoming more patient? Are you becoming more joyous? More loving? More kind? Those are ways to see. It's helpful when you have a friend who can say, you need to work on this a little bit. God can change. God can work and do amazing things in our lives. How do we know our lives are flourishing? It doesn't mean we never go through hardship. We are human. Anyone here an android or a robot? Yeah. 
We're human. So we, God's sons and daughters in a frail body that still has the ability to screw up. All right, but our lives are over a time of flourishing. There's a sense of we wanting to live a life of obedience within a world that's corrupt. We're saying, Lord, we want to be obedient to what you've asked us to do. When you pray, your prayers, your name be famous, your will be done, your kingdom come on earth, in my life, in our church, in our town, as it is in heaven. Those things are taking over. Those are applications. Lord, what can I do to align my life up to your purposes? What am I doing every day to remind myself of who I am in you, that I am a son, I'm a daughter of the king, and I have access to a kingdom? And when I mess up, anyone not messed up in the last 48 hours of some sort? When I mess up, I enter the throne room of grace boldly to obtain mercy. When I stop caring whether I enter the throne room of grace or not, something's going wrong. This parable is about the kingdom. It's about an end time story. It's about one day, there is a day is coming when it will all be revealed. I don't have to worry about those who, I just got to worry about me. And, I'm not, and here I'm not talking about individualism, okay? I'm talking about you before God amidst God's people. Because remember, it's a field of seed. It's not just one stalk on the side of the road. It's a field. It's a people. Kingdom of God. So what are you going to do? What are you doing every day to rearrange and reorder your life so that you can live as a disciple of Jesus? Do you maybe have to give up the job you have because it doesn't allow you to live as a disciple of Jesus? I'm not saying you have to. I'm saying just ask the question. The next time you get a promotion, do you, should you accept it? Is that because you got it, that means God wants you to have it? I'm saying, are you asking yourself, will this allow me to live the life of Jesus? Or will it rob me of living the life of Jesus? Too often we just assume things. I think we need to ask, God, is this what you want? God says, you know, I've got this new job for you in New York. Double the salary. Whoa. But you one day you heard God say, no, I've called you to be part of this community to see God do something. You've got to say, God, is that really what you want? I'm not saying it isn't. I'm just saying, do you ask the question? Do you align your life? God, I want to rearrange, reorder my life to line up with what it means to be your disciple? Am I willing? I'm not saying you have to. Am I willing to walk away from something so that I can live as a disciple of Jesus? It's a radical thought to live as a disciple of Jesus. But you know, this life is short compared to eternity. And there is a day coming. Is that all right? Finished on time. Some of you, you need to take this home, ponder it, weigh it up. 
Say, God, how can I do those things? What are you asking me to add? What are you asking me to subtract? What are you asking me to realign, adjust? Whatever. Don't just say, oh, that was great, or that was terrible. Go think and ask God to speak. Jesus ended that parable. He who has ears to hear, let him hear.